on this matter don't mince words bones what do you really think i like it a lot wow it's very deep thank you i probably don't even need to ask if we like this movie i think we all like this movie is there anybody who doesn't like this movie within this group of four people i can't imagine okay moving on do you remember the first time you saw it that's a tough one. I don't remember. It's one of those movies I feel I like I've seen so many times. I don't know if I can. Yeah, I don't remember how I saw it for the first time. I don't know if it was at a friend's house or if somehow I yeah. got a hold of it and rented it, or I don't know. I I don't feel like I would have been old enough to rent it. Yeah, that's a good point. So it must have been at a friend's house. Because I've told the story before where I kept trying to find a VHS copy of this, and I spent years trying to find a cheaper copy than the $36 copy of the VHS they were selling at Suncoast Video. And I think I ended up biting the bullet and paying close to 30 bucks for it. Oof. And then just – I Pat, I think I was telling you this story a little while ago. And then like a day or two, maybe a week after I had gone past the date where I could have returned – the video to Suncoast, I then ended up finding it somewhere for like 12 bucks. Mm-hmm. But I spent a really long time. I don't know. I can't spend $36 on a VHS copy of this movie. I really, really like this movie, but I, I can't justify that. And then I think it went down to 27 I was like, I mean, I can't still justify 27 bucks, but it's better than 36 I guess. And oh, I'm not going to find anywhere cheaper. And then like a month and a half later, I... Find it somewhere for twelve bucks. Oh, that's okay. It was hey, that's an it was an extra month and a half I got to enjoy the movie. So Yes. And I have seen this movie many, many, many times. And there is so much of this. I can't quote it the same way I can quote Star Wars, but there's a good portion of this movie that that I can quote. Yeah. I think I, I think I first saw this in college. Okay. I know I didn't see it in high school. I, I remember hearing about it and like the different scenes. And I remember people talking about it and just being like, dang, they put that in a movie. You can do that. That <laughs> kind of stuff happens really like just You'd hear rumors. And then I, I, or not rumors, but you know, people would talk. And like I said, I never really saw it in high school. And it was, I think it was when I, I I'm pretty sure it was when I got to college and maybe the first or maybe probably the second year of college. Cause that's when this, this guy moved in, he was in the music school. He's great musician, trombone player, really new tech and all that kind of stuff. And he was big, big movie guy. And he'd be like, Pat, you say you like movies and you haven't seen. And so he, we'd hang out and he'd catch me up on all the movies I need. But I want to say that that was Reservoir Dogs I saw first and then Pulp Fiction. And yeah, I, so I think I saw it like early on in college for the first time. Don't you hate that? So I think comfortable I mean, I, silences. Yeah, I I I, I want to say I saw it in a theater. Okay, 
And then I went back and saw Reservoir Dogs on VHS or whatever at the time. Like we got that from the, the video store because it was, oh, he had another movie out. Oh, it was this movie. And then we went back and watched that. So I think Pulp Fiction was the first one. And I want to say it's at the theater. I would have been a 23. So that's a more doable, you know. And then mm-hmm. saw it at home as well, and at least again multiple times. But I think the first time probably would have been the theater because it got so much buzz, and it was Academy Award, all that stuff, wasn't it? All like wasn't what were the nominations for this film? I was going to look it up offhand. It was nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated best, for okay. Best Travolta was nominated for Best Travolta Actor. Was, yep. Samuel Jackson was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Uma Thurman was Best Actress in a Supporting Role nominee. Quentin Tarantino was nominated for Best Director. It won Best Writing, Screenplay, and it was nominated for Best Film Editing. Yeah, so I want to say that, like, I used to have kind of this mindset that when things got nominated, I would typically go try to see those at the theater. Mm -hmm. And um, this might have been, I don't know if this was re-released back, you know, like, I wonder if it was out of it. Like, I, I don't remember seeing it before it became big. Yeah. I remember it being big first and being, like, a, so that's what I'm trying to pinpoint if, if it was, like, still in the theaters. You know how, like, when something's nominated, often it goes back in the theaters? Mm-hmm. Or was it originally from the original run in the theaters? I honestly don't remember that. Yeah. But I know that it was, like, big buzz, Travolta's film back, and we would have gone and seen it based on, like, all that type of stuff. So, yeah, it's weird that I don't quite remember, but I want to say it's the theater. I just don't remember original run or if it was like the Academy Awards, but I remember it being a big deal because of all that. That drew attendance, uh, attention to it, obviously. Yeah. yeah. It's not one my dad would have just taken us to. And we were already 23 at that point, so a lot of times that would have been, wasn't like we were younger kids and kind of, hey, we're all going to see a movie. It was you're on your own. Yeah. You're in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we have some moral questions that we wanted to ask about this one. Dennis, do you want to go ahead and ask your question about the pawn shop scene? Well, my big question with the pawn shop scene has always been, and we've had this discussion numerous times, but it's always good to kind of go back and see people change their views. But in this scene, there's a man trying to kill you. You're trying to escape him. Yet somehow you get into this issue in the pawn scene or pawn shop scene. And Bruce Willis's character has the ability to walk away. And the other guy will most certainly make his, in this case, die. So the problem of the person that's trying to kill you will be taken care of and you will be free to go on your own and live your life. Would you go back in to save that person who's trying to kill you in this situation? How many people would have gone back like Bruce Willis? You see, this is a moral test of oneself. <laughs> I think I would go back. knowing that you had the weapons available to you there. I mean, I think... What's the reason, though? What's the reason to go back? Yeah. Because something unspeakable is being done to another human being. Even that human being is going to try and kill you. Yeah. 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 Well, the real question is, if you've got a weapon you're comfortable with, are you going back to off everybody? To mm. save well, your own ass. Yeah, I guess that would be another. So, one. in other words, would you have? Ju- you wouldn't have stopped at the other two. You would have. Okay. I mean, that's you got to think about that. Like, would right? You you're going back and, there. Would you, you have gone back in the house? You can end it all. 
Wow, check out the big moral quandary on Bo. So, 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 so Bo, is that what you're saying you would do, or are you just posing that? Well, I don't know. That's a tough one. You have the ability now to, in theory, end the danger to you. Unless maybe you know Marcellus's organization well enough to know that you're not safe, even if he's dead. Mm-hmm. I feel like Marcellus had already given the orders to go after Butch. Right. So unless Marcellus is alive to rescind the orders, you're still not safe. True. So do you think that that was Bruce's motivation in this character or in this moment? Or was it, did he think that I need him alive to basically rescind this? Or is there a deeper level of something going on? Pat, what would you have done, by the way? I I think I, well, I think I would have gone back. Yeah, I would have gone back and it would have been, yeah, like like John was saying, something unspeakable is happening. Would you have spared, put it into that? Would you have spared Marcellus or would you have killed, like maybe done him off like like Bo had suggested? Yeah, I, I don't think I would have done him off. I don't think I would have done him in. Kind of with that idea, like, okay, you got to, otherwise the whole crew is going to still be hunting me. You know what I'm saying? And it kind of becomes the whole well, we didn't come in here on the same side, but now we're kind of on the same side. So until this particular truce is done, it's like Hunger Games style. Okay, I got an alliance with this guy now. And until this, when this situation's done, then we'll go our separate ways. But right now I'm helping this guy get out of this. And, and honestly, I want to point out, I, I said something unspeakable is happening, but for all we know and for all Butch knows, given his family history, they were just looking for a watch. Oh, oh come on oh, now. Oh, oh boy. Oh, that's just that, yeah. I mean, <laughs> really now. Par for the course. Could be. Uh, Could be. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, it was a pawn shop. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of watches in the pawn shop. Yeah, uh, uh, I'll just forget about that statement. Um, yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> blocking that one out. Good Lord. <laughs> now, does that make the edit or does that get cut out? Anyway. Oh, that makes the edit. It makes the edit. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Well, it is a dictatorship regardless of what it anyone is. says. So what did you just yeah. call me? <laughs> so I still don't know what I said in the curl, but yeah. So so this is where I think the genius of, of or at least, I don't know if you talk about like Quentin Tarantino with like a guy's mentality and a guy's film sometimes where he can tap into parts, not all the time. I don't agree with everything, but there's things where this is kind of that unspeakable brotherhood that, or that, that not unspeakable, but that, that un, undescribable brotherhood of the fact that, yeah, you're, you're about to throw down with this guy and maybe to the death and he wants, wants to take, cause you double crossed him, but then you were back and all oh, this whole battle's going on. And like you said, there's something that just trumps that in the sense of it puts everything back into perspective with those two and says, well, wait, wait, wait a second time out. This is, this is not right. And I think, when I remember what I remember my first instinct watching that, that scene was when Bruce walks up the thing, starts to walk out. I'm like, Oh, wait, where are you going? Like I was shouting mm-hmm. at the screen, I think, or at least in my head was saying, where are you? No, 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 no. Where are you going? I know he was going to kill you, but Bruce, Butch, what are you doing? And then you see him stop and look and you're okay. You know? And what's weird is I never even thought that Butch would go back and take care of Marcellus. 
like in terms of like kill him off, like kind yeah. of both. I wouldn't, I didn't even think of that. I just thought, no, like you're going to get those two guys and you're going to work out whatever, because he's going to be thankful that you went back. Not necessarily just to do it for selfish reasons or save his life, but because there was a greater evil here that this, this is like a fight between in a way, oddly, even though they're going to try and kill each other fight between brothers. And now somebody else stepped in and did something that's totally inappropriate. And the two brothers, are, you know what? Okay. We drop our beef. And we're going to stop this one right here. Like it, it just tapped into that kind of mentality. I think that at least I had at the time where I would have definitely gone back. And and I would remember shout, like I said, I remember being, if he walks out that door, I was no, cause I like this character boxer, everything else, Bruce Willis playing him. It's, it's a great character. And um, he doesn't seem like a bad guy overall in terms of, yeah, he's throwing this fight and the money and he wants to get out and go away with his girlfriend. But it's, I, I had, I would have lost respect for that character had he walked out that door. He is not bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and him going back is just okay. Yes. All right. And then that scene is just beautifully shot from everything. Just the, the, the camera positions, the 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 sword, the look on on Butch's face, like throughout all of it. So very. I'm here to exercise a demon and and get rid of these people. Yeah. So if you were going to ask memorable scenes, I got to go with that scene too. Like yeah. that's, yeah, that's a memorable scene. Um, fan theory that popped up when I was doing a little bit of reading is Mrs. Mia Wallace, a test of loyalty talking about loyalty is Mrs. Mia Wallace, a test of loyalty for Marcellus Wallace's men. As we get the story of Tony Rocky horror, who, clearly failed the test and got thrown out of a window. Vincent Vega is then told to take her out, show her a good time. And one of the fan theories that I was reading up on says that Marcellus, in order, he he works in a business where there's a lot of betrayal that's possible. And in order to test his men to make sure that they are loyal to him, he uses his actress wife, to have them take her out for a night on the town. And she, quote-unquote, basically throws herself at them in some way. And the test is, can they make it through all that? So, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I, I had never quite read mm-hmm. into that before, that she could be a test. But now, after thinking about it a little bit, nah, I could I could see that. It's an interesting hypothesis. I mean, it fits in. It makes sense. I Yeah. It's an interesting take. Yeah. Yeah. Because it does make sense. When she, when he kind of brings up, reluctantly brings up the story of Antoine, Tony Rocky Horror, she kind of has this little look on her face, like pretending not to know what he's talking about when she very well knows what he's talking about. And her whole thing about the only time, the only time Antoine touched anything of mine was when he shook my hand at my wedding. That doesn't necessarily have to be true. She is an actress, so she could she could be lying about it, right? You know, so maybe he did give her a foot massage, and maybe he tickled her. That's right. I mean, jewels don't be tickling or nothing, but well, that whole scene about the foot massage—it was just like also also a conversation starter for so many people. Yeah, like I don't know how many people I know. We had I had dialogue with friends, with family, with spouse, with just everything about what what, what about the foot massage? Yeah. Is well, that a thing? And, and that, I'm like, and that whole that whole scene where Jules is the one telling Vincent about this, 
uh, he's telling this whole story once he finds out that Vincent has to go take her out because Marcellus is going to be out of town. What the fan theory says is, is that Jules has already passed whatever the test was and that he's kind of doing this as a heads up for Vincent to be like, hey, let me tell you this quick little story here. And that's kind of his way of not coming right out and saying it, but basically saying, hey, watch yourself. It does sort of seem right. like Jules sort of has the inside track on the business and Marcellus almost as if he's been there the longest, right? Well, cause, cause he can, and he can say some stuff to Marcellus that I don't feel like anybody else could. Oh, that whole interaction before he calls the wolf. Yeah. No one else gets away with that without getting destroyed. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That in and of itself mm. probably is some divine intervention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never thought of it that way until I was reading that that fan theory. I had never thought of it that way. But then that also kind of goes to, Bo, I think you mentioned the deleted scene where she's got the videotape and she's interviewing him. Yeah. And that kind of goes a little bit to maybe maybe Marcellus wants some evidence of his men being loyal. And so she pulls out the video camera and pretends to be an actress playing with a video camera so she can get some evidence of the fact that she went out on the town with him and was asking him questions and... Sorry, Evidence of the foot be. massage. Could be, yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's an interesting philosophy, or an interesting theory. What is your thoughts on that, though, everybody? If your spouse or I, girlfriend got a foot massage from somebody else, is that crossing the line? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm yeah. throwing somebody out of a four-story window, but... Maybe a one one and a half story window. You happen to know you can survive that? Probably, yeah. Does it also does it also depend on the relationship of the friend? Complete stranger? Yes. What if it was a friend of the family that you've both known for twenty years and oh my foot hurts and oh I give a good foot massage. Hey, can you rub my feet? Is that is that automatically sexual or is that so sounding oddly <laughs> specific, Dennis? Yeah, what happened? No, it's not, but De- Dennis, what happened? Do you, Dennis, do you have a story you want to share? <laughs> Did something happen yeah, with yeah. you and Pat on yeah, one of your trips happened? to a cross country deal? <laughs> yeah, picture twenty. You know, somebody you've known for I don't know thirty years, twenty years, and you got you all went and you worked out. You come back and you know and. Well, Tammy's feet are hurting. <laughs> Here's the thing is I don't like people touching my body. So I have no, never gotten a massage anywhere in my, so to me, it's kind of foreign, but on the same token, I know that there's people, you know, you were like, we run a race. You went and got the massage. I, I know that when Tammy and I got married, part of the where we took our honeymoon it was like couples well not couples that doesn't sound right but there was it was <laughs> something you guys <laughs> that, was, that was just that was a whole other can of worms but i know that they would have they would have like a masseuse they come to the room and they're like oh, you can get a massage and i took a pass and well she can have mine so tammy got like two days in a row massages and i just went and you were fine with that because it's a professional well, okay so yeah does it that change it yeah that's different. i guess here's my answer i i mean i guess i would Kind of, I'm not a kind of guy that thinks, okay, that's my wife. So I get to tell my wife what to do with her own body. So, I mean, that kicks in. I guess it would be, 
okay, I, I guess it would probably, the, the reaction would be a little bit more of a discussion. Okay, well, how do we define our relationship? I, do you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I think, think it's let's how just, do you define it? What do you define a massage? I mean, a massage can be you know, multiple things, I guess, you know. But well, and I think they this. illustrate that in the conversation. Are you comparing a massage to, I can't say it here, but I mean, it's incredible, right? And then when he's just, well, no, I'm not comparing it to that. Maybe there's a different kind of massage. Okay, and then what did he say? I am the, I am the foot massage the foot master. master. I'm the foot master. Yeah, I, that, but yeah, I guess. Because I have seen, and I'm just saying this, it hasn't happened at the current building that we're at, but in the past building at the junior high, I will say that there were times, and maybe it was with people who were going out, or whether it was a group, or whether it was in the teacher's lounge, where somebody was, God, I'm so stressed out today. Oh, my neck is so sore from this workout. And somebody opposite sex very often doesn't always would typically be that would be, Oh, I'm really, I'm really good at this. And they would get up and start massaging someone's neck for them. And that person would be, Oh my God, right there, right there. You know, and is that, is that context? The person's not saying no, the person offered, the person could have said, no, don't do this. The person did. Would a spouse in that case have the right to be upset about that? Because, John, it sounds like you're saying yes to me. I'm just, I'm not putting my, I'm just saying. See, to me, I look at it as like what Pat just said. I go run a race. My hamstrings are tight. My calves are sore. I'm hurting. There's going to be somebody there. If they're there and they give a massage, Pat knows this. There was a person at the, I think you were there that, that day. And, and I'm, yeah, fire it up, like get going, like get the knots out of my calf. I'm, I see it as a therapeutic thing. Now, can it be in a different context, something else romantically? Yes, it absolutely. But, you know, it's clearly not in this case to me. So could somebody give Marcellus's wife a foot massage without it being something sexual or romantic? No, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Vincent Vega school of thought on this one. You touch, yeah. you touch the, wow, okay. It's See, so I look crazy. at it, okay, it costs a lot of money to get a massage. They're not cheap. It's a lot per hour. It, well, and, and, if, and I guess, guess what? If I have a friend who's a plumber and I need some plumbing done, I could hire a plumber or the friend could go, hey, you know what? I, let me get that for you. And they would fix my sink and I would appreciate that. Would you, so would you give a, a massage? It's something sore and somebody's going to massage you for free. Dennis, I don't know. Dennis, yeah. would, would you give a plumber a foot massage? depends what she looks like okay <laughs> see you even like you had to like put a little caveat in there too so <laughs> would you give a guy a foot massage my feet are really uh, tired right now that i'd have to be paid for oh, okay yeah it wouldn't be free my father yeah, always I, said I my always the... my father always said if you're good at something see never do feet. it for free <laughs> No, I, I'm, there's yeah. a, I think there's a, there's a difference between a medical or therapeutic massage done by a professional versus Marcellus Wallace having one of his guys go take his wife out for a night on the town and then giving her a foot massage. Yeah. I, the yeah. only time, the only time I ever went to a chiropractor and had to get a massage, it was a very, very aggressively large and, and, and aggressive Russian woman. And it was probably the most painful thing I have ever gone through. See, I'm, I'm see, I'm, I'm feeling some, some trauma. Maybe John experienced during this massage might be coming out in this conversation. Yeah. Da. Yeah. <laughs> it's the aggressive. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. John, 
I am yeah. finished with Bo Baggins. <laughs> <I did>. oh. <laughs> and then that did it. Oh, God. I, I, I did not go back. Yeah, that I was think... the last time. Don has hobbit feet. <laughs> mm. that's, that's actually true, yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Sure, my son has I, I don't know. I think you got to just be careful. I think physical touch can 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 mean a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think you got to be careful. And, and if we're talking about like marriage and all that kind of stuff, I, yeah, I think there's, there's a dichotomy there. You know what? I, I think you got to be careful because you don't necessarily lay claim to the other person's body, but in the same token, you, you do enter into a marriage and that means that you are now with someone. So I think you have to be conscious of that other person's feelings when it comes to those things. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I agree. And, with you. That's that's the interesting thing is because somebody might see that as different, but it's interesting if you don't see it as if you see it strictly as therapeutic and you this is a sports massage. I know people that will not even like anyone to go to a sports massage. Like I, I've yeah. known people, no, you're not going getting a professional massage from a masseuse, like a sports Swedish therapy, like anything. Like there's people who will be no, that's not happening because that is. That is breaking the vows of marriage. Some people will feel, and other people mm-hmm. are like that's a massage, and it's healthy, and it's good for you. So, I think that's an yeah. interesting conversation again. That like Quentin Tarantino throws into a film, and is something that we've been talking about for ten minutes now. Yeah. Well, and it's the fact that it's a foot massage is also a slightly Tarantino-ish trope. Mm-hmm. Well, and and Mia shows up barefoot to their. Night she out does. with Vincent, so. First thing she does when they get on the dance floor is take her shoes off. Mm-hmm. Again, very Tarantino. Because mm-hmm. I, I will just say for all reflexologists out there that the reflexology foot massage is one of the most amazing things ever. <clears throat> if you haven't tried it. They got their technique down and everything? Oh, it's amazing. It's it just. The, the concept of it is crazy. The fact that. It is that it, internal organs that it triggers. Yeah, that it can it, increase it, the blood flow yeah. and like yep. the concept of the whole thing is it blows Isn't my it? mind and it it just highlights the way that the human body is like this interconnected system. Yep. It's, now, I'm going to throw a name out there because when I was a lifeguard downtown and I was running and working out and boxing, like my feet, I had feet issues all the time. Sure. Like my, my ankles, my feet, like just, I just beat things up. It seemed like, but you're in baseball spikes, you know, boxing shoes, like different shoes. And I remember going downtown to a place called Urban Oasis. It was not far from where I lifeguarded. And there was a place called Urban Oasis. And it was the first time I ever think I really got a professional massage and I did reflexology. Her name was Taj. I swear to God that if I was ever a millionaire, I would hunt this person down and I would hire her as like, you don't have to worry about money for the rest of your life. You're just going to do reflexology for the rest of my life. And it was, it's not a, it's not a sexual thing. It's not, it literally is. I was so thirsty after, and they even predicted when you're done with this, you are going to be seriously thirsty. And you are, you get out of there and it's what the heck just happened. I think of the scenes in my life with, with Michael Keaton, when he goes, mm-hmm. oh, what's going on? It's literally, it was at that level. Now I've been to other ones that aren't as good and aren't as effective. That's why I always said I would keep and hire this person. She, I, it was amazing. It was just like, and there was nothing, like I said, romantic or sexual or crossing a boundary. And I think it would be sad that I didn't get to do that if 
a spouse or a partner and I get the whole, yeah, you want to respect somebody's wishes, but it's kind of, is that irrational? Like it's, it's literally a professional massage and I don't know. And it's a foot massage on top of it. So I am interesting because of the effect of reflexology and how much I felt that helped me back then. I, I, maybe that's why this, this topic is, is more of something to talk about. So I feel like it's not fair because you have an irrational insecurity that I can't do something that's good for me. That literally is like medically like beneficial for me. So it's just an interesting topic. But yeah. That's all I'm gonna say about that. All right. <laughs> well, the game's afoot. Pat has never had a massage. I've never had a massage. Oh. That's what I remember you saying at the thing. It was free post race and he declined it. Come on, try once. Try once. I don't like people touching me. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Maybe an elbow massage. I'll take an elbow massage. I don't like people touching me. Don't touch any of my stuff. <laughs> any you guy, any touch any touch me? Touch any of my stuff. Touch me, I'll kill you. I kill you. <laughs> I don't th- hey, look, I don't do well with sweets. I don't do well with sugars. Lighten up, well Francis. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. All right. <laughs> oh, man, this is where we need the video podcast. We need Dennis. No, 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 no. Is it Harold Ramis does that? Is it Harold Ramis who does that? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. When he's like talking about, like, hey, I can't kill you. You touch me, you touch any of my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, do we have anything else we want to say about this one? Any final thoughts, final watching, comments? I just want to say that watching this one this time, I was really struck that what I think really made this unique was just. It was always, Dennis, you described it as, okay, we were, we were following a certain story and then we just take this detour into weird when you were describing Marcellus Wallace chasing Butch and ending up at the pawn shop. And that's what I feel like this movie is full of is just, it's, it's just a study in. Everything's a weird detour. How, <laughs> everything's a weird detour. The Christopher Walken speech. The I shot Marvin with, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I shot Marvin right? in the face. You don't even have I mean, even tells character in there, but they're they're driving somewhere else, and all of a sudden detour because we shot Marvin in the face. <clears throat> and then and then the Quentin Tar- Quentin Tarantino character that is like this guy that's like this suburban dude, but then somehow he has sway over Jules. Jules is this real tough gangster that people are terrified of but he's like walking on eggshells around Jimmy. Right. And so you're kind of left with, well, what's the history? Why is that happening? You know, these guys are these tough gangsters that are going to go in and like murder these guys. These are the guys, but then they're getting into this conversation. That's just about like regular stuff. Choosing a pilot pilot. What's a pilot? Well, you have heard of TV, haven't you? Okay. Well, a pilot is the show. And it goes through this whole explanation it could just be a couple of guys talking and now they're like these tough gangster dudes. So that's what amazes me about this movie is just how it's that, that, that study in just a detour from, okay, we think we know these characters and suddenly we're going a complete 
other direction. And I, I just, I, I think that's part of the allure and, and why it, the movie works so well and why it seems so quirky is that that's, that's the one thread that runs throughout is you get all of those weird contrasts, right? Yep. Butch's girlfriend's trying to get him to watch the movie. It's a motorcycle movie with violence. No, it's too early in the morning for that. You know, what happens? He ends up getting into a weird, violent adventure and rides off on a motorcycle. It's just those weird ironies that are like throughout this uh, movie really, really uh, uh, make it entertaining. And I think it really helps in partnership with the dialogue and partnership with partnership with those well executed scenes, those very rhythmic scenes. You get this, this common thread of contrasts. And, and how about the choice of like the, like the, the order of these scenes and going backwards and forward, like that Bo had mentioned that, that maybe that was the turnoff for people that maybe the, I think you had kind of said that at the beginning when the, with the scores or whatever, is there any other way to film this or is this the way you have to film this type of film? I think you, I think you have to do it this way. I think it'd be hard to go in order. Like I could see the allure of trying, but. And if you go in order, does it just make an ordinary film? Yeah, it's just another, I hate to it's say it, but it's just time. another gangster film at that point, right? It's it's not even a film. And almost, how do, you, and almost four, how do you connect the stories? Right. It feels like Four Rooms. Have you ever yeah. seen that? Yeah. yeah. It feels a lot like that because you're going to tell these individual stories and you're kind of going to be like, yeah. you see how they're connected at the beginnings and the ends, but you don't see the intertwining of them yeah. unless you do it the way he did it. Mm-hmm. Nothing against Four Rooms that had its place, but. It's interesting how, right. like, how no how Pulp you, Fiction how and when you choose to cut to these other stories and what order you tell them and what do you start with? What do you end with? And then the briefcase, like the mm-hmm. just all that. Yeah. It's just, it's a very strange. The briefcase was such a cool. Yeah. Was that a MacGuffin in this really? I mean, it wasn't in it long enough to be, but yeah. And I love that there's all those fan theories about what it is. Right. Right. It's Marcellus but... Wallace's evil soul. It's the Oscar that, Quentin Tarantino thought he should win for this. It's the, yeah. And and the best part is they don't need to explain those things. No. Just like they don't need to really make the fan theory, like the fan theory, I think that's cool, but it's like, you don't need it to be here because that's not what the juxt, that's not what the crux of these stories are, mm-hmm. that it's something powerful, yeah. important. You see John Travolta sells you that when he opens it up. We have, you know, mm-hmm. we're happy. Oh yeah, we happy. Yeah. It, yeah, so, it's they they really did it well. I I want to throw a curveball in here and I I don't even know, I can't necessarily explain the different parts of it and how I think it all fits together. But watching it this time around, there were a couple things that I noticed I hadn't really noticed before and it was how much religious imagery is in this movie. Uh, you know, you've got, obviously, you've got the Ezekiel 3517, or did I say 2517? You've got the, you've got the quote from the Bible, which actually is not a direct quote from the Bible. He quoted it from, I think it was some other movie that he kind of pulled that directly from, which had kind of paraphrased a part of the Bible. You've got that. You've got Eric Stoltz's character, Lance, looks like Jesus, and mm-hmm. he's there at Mia's resurrection when she's brought back to life, you've got all the different conversations about forgiveness, about, you know, Jules's philosophy on things, the divine intervention of not getting hit by the bullets. The, I I did see something I was reading up and something pointed out about how none of these events would have taken place 
if you didn't have some of that divine intervention. So if you didn't have the divine intervention of them being not hit by those bullets, and then Jules does not go to Marcellus and say, hey, I'm retiring, then that scene with the pawn shop, the reason, my understanding is, the reason that Marcellus is there to begin with is because, and you see him when he's carrying that, I'm assuming, box of donuts. He's got two drinks on the top of it. And my understanding is he's there with, he's bringing breakfast to Vincent, who's at Butch's apartment. So Marcellus wouldn't be there if Jules hadn't retired. And so there's this whole series of events that none of this would have happened. And I was just watching, like I said, I've got the movie playing right now. And it's the scene, I'm at the pawn shop scene right now while it's playing. And the motorcycle that Zed rides in on is named Grace. And the whole concept of Grace is that you have basically undeserved forgiveness or something. And so that whole scene is, while Marcellus could have turned on Butch and killed him after all that, still followed through on his threat to kill him because he betrayed him, he lets him go. He shows him Grace and lets him go. So I, this time around, I just I spotted more of those things than I think I had ever spotted in the past, and you get a whole bunch of other imagery here and there throughout the movie. But I just I thought that was really interesting this time. I, I saw more of it this time around than I think I'd ever seen before. Well, you were mentioning there were some of the theories, and the one that I always the one that I always heard was that it was like Marcel's soul that he sold to the devil. Yeah, I think they've always alluded to like what is in the combination six 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 is the and then it was yeah. the building. I had to look the movie up, but I remember there was also a reference because of Quentin Tarantino's loves of love of film and classic films, and it was one from nineteen fifty five called Kiss Me Deadly, mm-hmm. which includes a sequence featuring a cryptic box, one that is connected yeah. to the gates of hell and glows upon being opened. Yeah. So people have also said that's that's the one I've most commonly heard is that. Yeah. That's the only one that has any sort of any sort of what circumstantial evidence or evidence possibly to point towards that. Mm-hmm. But like all the other ones, oh, it's for the diamonds from from Reservoir Dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other silly ones, it's there's really no evidence for any of those. But like right. you could, like you said, clearly see that. And isn't there something with what did you say what Marcel's like something on his his band of He's got that Band-Aid on the back of his neck the whole time. Yeah, and it says something, and it's like a, isn't it like a religious or something sort of quote? I haven't looked that up. Let's see. What is Marcellus's? There was something that I thought that he had on his head. Is it a headband or was it a Band-Aid? He had a Band-Aid. I didn't know it said anything. Yeah, I don't know that it says anything. He's just Um, got a Band-Aid, and that always led to the soul theory somehow, that that's how his soul was soul was removed from the back of his head yeah yeah which always seemed a little odd I, the real story is ving rames has a an ugly scar on the back of his neck and he thought it would yeah. be too distracting in close-ups to for the audience to look at it so they put a band-aid on it and the only trouble i always had with the whole soul thing was when pumpkin looks at it he's in awe of whatever it is mm-hmm. how the heck would he know what he's looking at maybe it's maybe a human soul is just so beautiful sure Sure. Yeah. Would you would you touch a human soul, Bo? Even if it wasn't, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> I was I was just gonna wait and see where you went with that because I wasn't sure where would it was you, going. Would you give Marcellus Wallace's soul a foot massage? Does a soul have a soul? Yes. There's a ah. there's at least a double meaning and a triple entendre and a triple lutz there. Yeah. <laughs> a triple lutz. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. That's outstanding. There's a, I don't know. There's a lot of multiplication. That's actually extraordinary. <laughs> what would you like to do next? I, 
anything really. It doesn't matter. Right. Well, here I'm, I found just, I'm just happy to be here. We're so all just fine here. Thanks. I'm excited to be a part of this. The theory is further supported by the bandage on the back of Wallace's head, which correlates with a biblical text that reveals how the devil takes one's soul. Hmm. So I don't know what that means. Hmm. I know if you lose, the devil gets your soul, but that's that's a Charlie Daniels yeah. quote. So that's different. That's slightly different. Maybe he would have taken it out the back of his head. And there wasn't a fiddle anywhere in this movie. There was a lot of other no. things. Don't think there was a fiddle. No. Yeah, there's there's nothing in the Bible that talks about well, I'd say there's there's nothing as far as I know in the Bible that talks about anybody like the devil taking the soul out of the back of somebody's head. That's what I'm yeah, I don't yeah. think there was either. I wonder what they're even referring to. Yeah. I've read mm. it a few times. I don't remember seeing that there. But yeah, no. So I, that was just something that was kind of interesting this time around, just kind of throwing some of those things together. And especially with how introspective and philosophical that Jules gets towards the end of the movie and how he's just, he's going to go wander the earth. He's going to walk the point. earth. Right, right. Well, and he makes several references to like shepherds and, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, that's, I thought it was kind of interesting. asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Question number one. What is your favorite themed restaurant? Oh. Ed DeBevix. Ah, uh, yeah, that was mine. Too good. Yeah. Hmm. Something about being insulted while you eat. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That was always fun. Although we went there one time. I wanted, It was my sister's birthday. We went there and one of the, one of her friends got licked by the waiter. Ew. So they That's took a it a little much. They took it a bit too far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't even the Chicago location. I think it was the Deerfield location. Wow. Like, that's a little intense for the suburbs there, buddy. They should have yeah. stopped at a foot massage. Well, I, right. Exactly. Well, and, and even more awkward than that, these were probably all 13 to 14-year-olds, too. Ooh, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's... So, it was, yeah, it's a, a little strange. Uh, I described Jackrabbit Slims to my son and talked about how they had replaced the inside of some classic cars with booths and that's where you ate. Now he kind of looked at me. Can we go there? Where is this at? Eh, like, that's awesome. Not a real place. I, 
I, yeah, I do feel his his thought process there, though. Yeah. The more I see this movie, the more I want to go to there. Yeah. Yeah. I did. It's kind of the concept's kind of cool. I did try to Google it, and there was a place called Jackrabbit Slims in Milwaukee, but I don't believe it's quite the same as the Pulp Fiction one, and it's not open anymore. Yeah. And you got to figure. I mean, let's be honest. Like most theme restaurants, it probably has a pretty short shelf life. It's not going to last long, yeah. Yeah. But the concept I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tried looking, and I don't know if I found the correct one. I don't think I did, but there's there's been a couple names, and I, none of them are clicking with me. But I remember as a kid being at a restaurant with a kind of more of the train theme, and the food was delivered by the train. Oh, the choo choo. Is that what it is? The choo choo. I've looked up. I yeah. don't remember that's the name of it though. Yeah. Choo-choo yeah. Right in the, like displays. Uh, it's displays. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Displays. Yeah. That's the choo choo restaurant. Yeah. Maybe we, we that had some... is where I was at. I thought I, I did just that name did not ring a bell, but I remember being at a place as a kid where that happened, where the food, I was just super cool that I... the food came out on a train. So I don't know if that would count as a runner up. Oh, yeah. But I would have had the perfects too. I okay. would have to confirm with my wife, but. Where my sister-in-law lives down in Forest Park, there was a restaurant that if you were seated at the counter, it was a big counter, but if you were seated at the counter, your food does still come on the train. Yes, yeah. If you were at the table, it was standard waiters and whatnot. The train was always moving around. Yeah, there's a place in Forest Park that still did that as of, I'm going to go ahead and say 10 years ago, but Mm. that was, was a while ago when I was there, so it might not be there anymore, but it was pretty fun. Anybody have any else? Because I'll throw a third one that just popped. Yeah, I mean, I had three. That was, I, and then I had two more. Though the one I said the choo-choo train, and then there's one more. That's a kind of my a, my favorite. What like growing up, as soon as we moved here, I think for a couple of my birthdays, we went to Michael Jordan's restaurant. Hmm. Uh, I was like going there, but as a kid, when we lived over in England, I, for a couple of birthdays while we were over there, I absolutely loved Planet Hollywood, and I wanted to go there mm-hmm. for as many birthdays as people would take me there just getting to see the the movie memorabilia stuff and yeah so i would sure. i'd probably say planet hollywood out of all of them that any dad or no or i'm the say, harry carries if you've ever been in one of those they've got some nice yeah paraphernalia well and and a lot of the portillos too i mean they're all either like yeah a, a 50s diner or a 40s restaurant yeah. or yeah did we lose pat yeah like no me. pat's still here okay. pat's just listening into the whole thing pat's sleeping guess you better go wake him up then shouldn't you I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna throw the one that I used to like taking the kids and, and it has some like the food's not great or anything. And it's kind of pricey and in some ways. But I, I always got a kick out of Rainforest Cafe, too. Oh, yeah. Sure. Rainforest yeah, Cafe is fun. That. Yeah, I thought that was a fun one with the kids. When we got little kids and the stuff goes off and the lightning, the, the, all that, everything was happening. It was always fun. Yeah. The sounds and I thought it was pretty cool. The Hard so, Rock. Those are my three. Yeah, Hard Rock, yeah. Hard Rock downtown is actually kind of fun. Like, if you give yourself time to walk around and look at some of the stuff, it's kind of cool. There like was some of the stuff uh, they have. One one place I really, really want to go to. I did not get a chance when we were down there a couple of years ago because it was kind of on the, on the tail end of some COVID stuff, is when we went to Galaxy's Edge, I did not get to go to the cantina. Ah. Oh. And I would love to go. That was really one of the only places I wanted to go while we were there, and I did not get to go. And then, and then, is this is this is this is this considered a theme, 
or not a theme, but is it considered a restaurant or a theater? And I would say medieval times. Medieval oh, times. sure. Yeah, I'd give you yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's what, that's all I got. I have actually never been to medieval times. I've heard it, it can be oh. a lot of fun. Well, oh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You, I didn't even know exactly where it was until the other day. We drove by completely oh, yeah. on accident. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cast, yeah. We were coming back from somewhere else and we're like, Oh, look, <laughs> that's where that is. Yeah. That's I'll, I'll let you have that as a restaurant because it's dinner and tournament. And exactly. tournament. So you're eating in there to watch. And so it's yeah. like, it's, yeah. Okay. That's what I got. Okay. You guys got a, you guys got a good chunk of it. The only thing that I would throw in and I I don't, to be honest, I don't know that it's even open anymore. It's maybe changed was the 94th Aero Squadron restaurant right by, I'm I'm going to go old school here. I'm going old school Pal Pal I know Uh it's Chicago executive, but I I think I remember it's Pal but yeah, the 94th Aero Squadron restaurant, that, that was, that was really, that was really fun. That was really cool. Nice. Especially being a kid that just like loved the heck out of planes and all that kind of thing. You could just go and be at the airport and just kind of look like it was supposed to be like a, like a world war one era bunker that you were eating in. And then you could like, on the radio, you could listen to the air traffic control as the planes were coming in. And you know, they, every so often they'd have old warbirds that they'd land there and you could go and check them out. And yeah, that was, that was a pretty cool restaurant. I'm going to, my last one I'm going to throw out here was my wife's answer to this one. I would absolutely agree with it too. And I know our buddies in Oklahoma, probably most of them down there are going to know where this is. The Silver Dollar City theme park in Branson, Missouri has a, has a mine restaurant where you go down underground and it is all the, the rock walls, everything else. It looks like you're in a mine. You even get tin cups for your drinks. And the, the tin cups were always awesome because I would always get a tin cup with with lemonade, and that tin cup keeps mm-hmm. that lemonade nice and cold the entire time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a that was a fun spot too. We'd go to the mine restaurant. All right, question there's, number two. Oh, there's one more restaurant I'll throw yeah. in. It was called Hot Foot, and Hot Foot was where you got these sandwiches and you got a foot massage at the same I, time. I was going to ask. Yeah. Oh. Geez. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yes, I was going to ask about that. Would you Would you give a guy a sandwich? I couldn't foot the bill. Oh, there anyway. we go. Oh. oh, thank you, Dennis. I, see, nobody else will do this, but Dennis is here to toe the line with me. <laughs> I just stuck my foot in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think I think after that, we all need a little bit of time to heal. So let me go to question two. Favorite Uma Thurman role? This one was harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should I should have gone to the IMDb and looked up all her movies. My gut reaction until you guys mentioned everything I'm forgetting is what was it? Not the, the, the murdered bride or in Kill Bill. Bill. Kill Bill. What was she? Yeah. Kill Bill. Yeah. What was she known as? The Bride. Bride. The Bride. Yeah. Yeah. I just loved it when she when she headed over to Japan. She was wearing Bruce Lee's jumpsuit and she was riding around on the motorcycle, and all the all the bad guy ninjas were riding around on blacked out motorcycles with the swords in the back. I just thought that was really cool. 
And I almost say that that was possibly going to be my answer because just the sheer amount of time she gets two movies as the main character. Yeah. Just yeah. the sheer amount of time that she's in that one probably makes it my favorite out of all of them. But I, I don't know. I, I might have to go this one. I might have to go Pulp Fiction. Yeah. She was fun in the producers. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't say this. Say it. No. Because I agree with you. I think because this is going to make me look really bad, but The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, no, no, no. I, Yes, I agree with you. Nice. I had for Honestly, it's been so long, I had forgotten she was in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How okay, do you I'm gonna, I haven't seen that okay. movie. I saw it once, and I haven't seen it in... You do I remember. Know how long. I mean, I guess maybe it had more of an impact. I mean, I mean well, you saw it. Six, I don't you remember. Saw it six years I, ago. I, I'm 16, 17 years old, and you see that movie, and it's. And again, I don't. I don't want to sound creepy. I'm just saying, one of the most beautiful women. Just like mm-hmm. it. Just yeah. I remember thinking, you know, Kevin Klein wasn't. Who was? Wait, is it Kevin Klein? Who's she with? No, Robin Williams. Robin? No, 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 no. Yeah, That's Eric Idle. Who's she married to? Oh no, who's no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it Kevin Klein for a while, or no? Who was she married to? She was married to an actor that I was like, no way she was married to Kevin Klein. I'm telling who was it? Mm. Former spouse. I just remember thinking. I, mean, I guess it's possible. Gary oh, Oldman. Google. Gary Oldman. Oh, God. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well done, old codger. Yeah. It's total side note on Gary Oldman. Anyone who's got Apple TV should be watching Slow Horses. I, and then she's heard, also with Ethan Hawke. Okay. Absolutely amazing. Okay. She's also with Ethan Hawke, which I knew too as well. Oh yeah. That I remember. I got I got Apple TV, but I'm watching Masters of the Air. I figured you I would I bet be. you are. That looks really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm watching the heck out of that show. What I, else? What's the other one I should be seeing? Slow horses. Slow horses. And while you've got Apple TV for all mankind. For yeah. all mankind, yeah. One hundred percent on that one. Yeah. Hijack with it yourself is pretty good too. That's only seven or eight episodes. But I, I, I will go back and say that I think that my, my true answer would have been Kill Bill. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I agree that she's great in Pulp Fiction, but I mean, she's the star of Kill Bill. Right. She's oh, yeah. Right. Character. That's her. That's a great, just, she does that so well in it. That's just perfectly. <clears throat> Yeah. But I do remember, like I said, the beauty kind of of like first beauty of Uma Thurman that I've ever seen where it's wow. I'm going to, for question number three here, I'm, I'm going to call an audible. I, I sent you guys a different question and I feel like we talked about the pawn shop here. So I'm going to call a bit of an audible and I'm going to ask you in the scene in the apartment, they are trying out the big kahuna burger. And I feel like I might've asked a similar question before, but where's your favorite place to get a burger? I'm sorry, Bo. That is that is difficult, my friend. Bo just gave me a look that any bullets that would have shot out of Bo's eyes would not have embedded themselves in the wall behind me. I'd be dead. All right. So oddly enough, there's a weird one that goes back to when I was a kid, and that would uh, you wouldn't believe this, but Mister Submarine in hmm. Berwyn. 
when they took over, they added, it was two guys from Lebanon who okay. took over the place. Me and my brother would go down there, play pinball and stuff and hang out. And they were really awesome. Abe and Abe and what's that guy's name? George, Abe and George. And basically they added to the menu. They pushed because they, you can, you have to kind of petition for that. And they made, they had a grill and they, they got a grill going and they added stuff to Mr. Submarine that wasn't on any other Mr. Submarine you went. So they somehow got like permission to add stuff. And they made a really great cheeseburger back there. That was just, I don't know if it's the time that goes with it, but that was always like a, wow, that was a great. And then I would say, as I got older and moved, I'm, I would go, I'm going to kind of go when I was eating burgers, I, I love Portillo's charbroiled cheeseburger, man. Yeah, they're good. You put the onions on, you put grilled onions, raw onions, lettuce, tomato. That's, that's a great sandwich. It was just, that a good Everybody talked about five guys, but I don't know if I was exactly super pleased with five guys. I like the toppings, but I don't know if the actual burger itself at the time was, I thought it was a disappointment when I went a little bit. It was good, but not like, oh, this is it. Yeah. We talked really big when it first came to Vernon Hills. Because I think the first one, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't it in Libertyville? John, do you know? Wasn't there one down Libertyville, Milwaukee Avenue? Yeah, somewhere? yeah there was one there. there yeah. That's where the first one was, I think. And I remember going to that one, and then they opened the one up by uh, Best Buy over there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go when I was eating burgers, Portillos. Okay. Mm. Well, maybe it's a as Dennis said, maybe it's a childhood thing, like a a timing thing. But there's a local place more local to John even than me, but the lantern in Lake forest mm-hmm. is, uh, they do have a good will always be one of my best burgers. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. The lantern does have good burgers. My, my I answer, I, I got to go back to my roots for my fast food answer. My fast food answer would be what a burger in Texas. Uh, okay. That's my fast food answer. I, Bo, you threw me a curveball with the lantern there. You started this mess. I don't I think know. you get to complain. I know. You know what? I one of the one of the best burgers I had recently was actually the 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 Kuma burger at Kuma's Corner. Mm, yeah. Ah, oh, good one. That's, that's the one that has yeah. the has the bacon, the cheese, and the the fried egg on top. I wonder why that survive here. That is that is good stuff. The other they closed one, that here, didn't they? What's that? They closed it here, right? The one here closed, yeah. Wonder yeah. why. The other one's like in Schaumburg, isn't it? Somewhere yeah, there's one, there's the one. There's in one in Chicago too, right? There's one downtown, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the other one. You know what? Actually, there was another really good one I had at a place called Light Light the Lamp in Gray's Lake. Oh yeah, yeah. They had a really good mm. one one time. I, I'm forgetting what it would normally be called, but we were there on Star Wars trivia night, so all their menu items were renamed for Star Wars items. Oh, this had this burger had. I feel like the the burger had cherries on it. Mm. Like I'm trying to remember what oh. all the ingredients were, and I can't. But it was really good. Yeah, huh. no, that was a good one too. But. Two honorable mentions. Just going back again, I would say I think phrase it when I was lifeguarding downtown Chuckers. Okay, mm. Chuckers that had good burgers, and they also had the they had those they put those. They also had like apple fritters or something too. I think it was. And then I, I, I gotta admit, like at school here, when it for Smash Burger was when they when they're oh, yeah. when they get a good one, Smash Burger was pretty good. Yeah. They had those crispy onion things, onion ring, like onions that would go on it too. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. Good. 
we have a place not too far away from here called Michael's Grill, and they do pretty good burgers. I, yeah. Not, not to the level of the Lantern, but yeah. Well, here's a, here's a follow-up question that what makes it a good burger? Well, I think part of the problem with picking a burger is I think there are different styles of burgers. Mm-hmm. Like there's the, like the Lantern is a thicker juicier burger it's not a smash burger it's not the flatter patty that you'd get at like a portillo's or a five guys or even a local luke's up here a handmade homemade burger Mm -hmm. that my dad used to make on that yeah yeah i i think and i wouldn't have said this even just a few years ago but i think if it's a burger that i'm fine eating even if you don't put any toppings on it then I, just something about oh, okay. the, the size, the consistency, the way it's been grilled or cooked. Because I've found, even sometimes when I'll make them at home, like there are times where if I make one at home and I get it just right on the grill, then yeah, I don't need, I don't need anything on this. Like I might put a little cheese on it, but I don't need ketchup. I don't need lettuce, tomato. I don't need anything else. I don't need any of the other stuff. Right. A good burger stands good, on its own. A good burger on its own is is mm-hmm. all you need. And I've I've done that once or twice. Here at home on the grill and I'm, yep nope i don't need to i have a plethora of toppings in front of me i'm not using any of them <laughs> do you know <laughs> would you say i have a plethora oh yeah you have a plethora of toppings. you have a plethora i the movie is still playing off to my left over here <laughs> and i'm i'm thinking that maybe for halloween one year i'm going to decorate the inside of my car with a bunch of quilts Oh, geez. And just wear a black suit and tie. I might do that one year, just for fun. We'll see how it goes. It's awesome. All right. Let me let me also ask the follow-up question, in case anybody else is wondering. Where is the best place? And I obviously, I, I have not experienced this, but where is the best place for the vegetarians in the group to get a good veggie burger? There's a place out in California, in San Diego, called Plant Based Power. I think it is Power Plant Based, Plant Based Power, something like that. Was it Plant Power? Hunter yelled it out. Plant oh. Power, and it's kind of the Mission. I want to say it's a Mission Mission Valley section, okay. and they have really good shakes too. Like oh, nice. you, you don't think you don't realize you're eating plant based when you're there. Really, it's like shakes are excellent, and their the burgers are really good. Yeah. Is it a five dollar shake? Is it a is it a five dollar shake? <laughs> ah, great minds, Pat. Do you mind California. If, do, California? Do you mind if I do you mind if I try a sip of that shake? <laughs> wow, man, it's a pretty good shake. I don't, I don't know, know if it's worth, worth five dollars, but <laughs> it's go. pretty good. Mind if I have some of your tasty yeah. beverage to wash this down? Yeah, where would where would you say? Have you got anything? Yeah, you know what? Like most of the times that I found a good like, you know, and there's different takes on that. I mean, one is like a meat substitute thing where it's, 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 it's like a, like a impossible burger or something like that, where the consistency is more similar to like uh, bread meat. And then there's the other kinds of burgers where you make the patty out of different things, which each to their own, but sometimes that's more exciting because you can, and I'm just saying that I know that there's a whole group of people out there that I said something that uh, love their regular hamburgers that when I say, Hey, this is exciting with a veggie burger and they're just cringing. I think there might be several of our friends from Oklahoma that might be ready to give me a hard time when I, when I say excitement equals a uh, veggie burger, I was, they were razzing me pretty good a little bit about that. Uh, have you, have you ever watched parks and rec? 
only parts of it, like occasionally. There, is, there is a scene where Rob Lowe's character is trying to bring healthier foods to the commissary yeah. at the Parks and yeah. Rec. And so he and Ron Swanson have a burger off and he fixes yeah. this like ridiculously healthy veggie burger and, and he has spent years perfecting it and he presents it well on the plate and, and gives it to him. Everybody's oh, this is, oh, this is amazing. This is great. This is it. And then Ron Swanson walks in with like a burger, plain burger on a paper plate and like throws it in front of everybody. He's like, here, just try this. And everybody tries it. Like, no, yeah, that's, that's much better. That's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, Pat, when you mentioned that? like the when you mentioned like the kind of the fake like the impossible or beyond whatever the what was the place in the mall that closed? Darn, Hunter, what do you know? It was you worked there? Hunter, what was the place in the mall? It was right on the edge of like opposite the theater. Like it was there for a while. People used to go there for after school activities too, like teacher stuff. Gathering. Yeah, I remember that place. Remember that the place, place was somewhere the sea, wasn't it? It? Was the, it wasn't the Irish place. No. It was the same. That's the place they kept. Flame Company? Flame Company. Flame Company, yeah, yeah, Flame yeah, Company yeah. did a really good Impossible Burger when it first came out. When Pat talked about yeah. the juiciness oh. of the bleeding, like like if, bleeding like a like a real burger type of thing. Yeah. There's in the beginning, that was some of the first ones. I know it's not good for you, really. All that stuff's not that good for you anyway, so it's not really a great alternative. But Right. And that sucker tasted good. When they when they made it on and it was good and it wasn't overcooked, that thing was fun. If you overcook those, horrible. If you cook them sure. right, yeah. they were just, it literally, you thought you were eating. I mean, it was it was good. I have to yeah. say for but all like, of the fast food attempts at impossible, the one that I found that I, that I, and I think it has to do with the fact that it's a sausage, not a burger mm-hmm. patty. So a sausage can, it's more about, it's almost more about the spices in a sausage than it is about the meat itself. Mm-hmm. The impossible right. sausage patty at Starbucks of all places yeah, yeah. on their breakfast sandwich is really yeah, I get that. Good. Yeah, yeah, it is. Pretty good. I was yeah. shocked. I was oh, okay. Yeah. I can do that. But as far as as burger patties, I think it's when you get like the veggie burgers that are not like the the substitute ones, but like the veggie ones that are made when they're putting together like black bean patties and all sorts of different ingredients that go in there. I I really like the tastes. And then they usually come up with some pretty awesome toppings. So it's kind of like the full. And it's always been that way for me for hot dogs and burgers. And even going back, it's always been like about you know, all the different tastes that go in with all the toppings that you put on it. You know what I'm saying? So some of these places like twisted burger and whatnot, there's so many flavors going on these burgers. You're not even tasting a burger when it's all said and done. I mean, it's all about all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think, I think anywhere you go to like brew pubs and they'll come up with their own uh, recipe of a, of a, of a veggie burger or garden burger or whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, like I said, I just tend to like the patties that are, made up of different kinds of beans and other spices and sprouts your bean, and like your bean burger. Yeah. Yeah. Some good mushroom yeah. burgers that are made, made out of a mushroom. Like, like yeah, that. I've had some yeah. good mushroom burgers over, excuse yeah. me, over the yep. years. <laughs> yep. Might so. even be, is it twisted burger? There's one of them is either twisted burger or the bulldogs that was in Wakanda. Um, they used to have a really good veggie patty that a friend of ours really liked. And basically they would make any of their burgers with whatever patty you picked. Right. Yep. I just I can't remember, remember if it was that. twisted burger or bulldogs, but one of them had a really good veggie patty. Yeah. 
think it was black bean based, but there was other things in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wish I had a, a, a go-to place, but I kind of like to explore, you know, the different places I go. Hey, what's the veggie burger like here? You know, you're a Renaissance man, Patrick. I am a Renaissance man. That's exactly right. He doesn't like to be touched though. I don't like to be touched. I don't, I'm not, I'm you're not down with that. Renaissance man all you want, but don't touch him. Yeah. I, that's going to do it for this one, guys. This one has been Pulp Fiction, the 30-something movie podcast. If you want to find more of our episodes, head over to 30podcast.com, where you can see the rest of them over there. We are at 30 Podcast on most of the different social media outlets out there, so go check us out on whatever they're called now. I I don't want to date the podcast by giving actual names, because who knows? It might be named something different next week. We've got coming up for the rest of the month of February. We're almost done with February. Our Patreon episodes are Revenge of the Nerds and The Color of Night, the worst film from the Razzies in 1994. This week has been Pulp Fiction. Last week we did The Specialist. The week before that was The Crow. And then The Lion King is coming up next week. In March, it is our month of what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Rear Window is our Patreon. And Felidae is our Patreon short from 1994. We've got The Shadow, Clear and Present Danger, Natural Born Killers, and The Shawshank Redemption. So... We got a lot of good stuff coming up over the course of the next several weeks or so. So, as always, I, and this was a fun one to talk about, I have always enjoyed this movie. You know, the first time I saw it, this was the first Tarantino movie I saw, and so I think because of that, it solidified its place as probably being my favorite. But yeah, I was, mm-hmm. I was looking forward to talking about this one, and uh, glad that we got a chance to talk about this one together. So, thank you, gents. Yep, thank you. Thank, thank you, John, John for putting it together all right everybody everybody be excellent to each other go watch some good movies and we will see you back here next time ezekiel 25 17 the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers and you will know my name is the lord when i lay my vengeance upon thee fasten your seatbelt I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts, it? 
of your own on this matter? Or do you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Hey, you, Flock of Seagulls, you guys know where we're here? It's probably Pulp Fiction, given the music and the quote, but I thought I'd ask. Let's start off with this. I'm your host, John Reed, of the 30-something movie podcast, and in the different corners of my screen that I can see, let me ask you all a question. What does Bo Warmbold look like? <laughs> I it love looks that. Like love fest. <laughs> that's that's the right answer. That's the right answer. Hi, love fest. How are you doing? I am well. Good. How are you? I'm Mr. I'm, Reed. I'm excellent now that I'm here. Oh, I see. It's been a day, so I'm glad to be podcasting. Indeed. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, man. But there's Pat Canagallo. Does he look like a podcaster? <laughs> Do they speak English on what? <laughs> then why you try to record uh, a podcast, Pat? Pat, how are you doing? I, I, I heard you were under the weather doing, a bit. Yeah, well, I I, I I thought I was okay, and then all of a sudden you start putting two and two together and realize, oh, wow, and yeah. all this and, <laughs> and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I think this is just good old-fashioned have a cold. Yeah. So it'll go through its phases and – and then it'll be gone. Yeah. So. Well, and finally, if my co-hosts frighten you, maybe you should stop listening to scary people. Hi, Dennis. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> good. Doing I good. Feel, I feel like we're gonna, we are a family-friendly podcast, so there are certain things we can't quote from this movie. But I feel like we're going to do a lot of quoting tonight. It. It is a. Distinct possibility. This is a, this is going to be a, a full, complete show. I, there's, I'm sure there's going to be quoting. I'm sure there's going to be discussion of camera angles and moral questions and Bible readings and, and all kinds of stuff. So it's, I think it's going to be a good night. Mm-hmm. So this is our episode on Pulp Fiction. So we, we will say, I will say right from the onset, we are a family-friendly podcast, so we do kind of keep it clean. Dennis ensures that I have plenty of stuff to edit out every time we do an episode. But it's true. I, our last one, actually, Dennis, we were running pretty clean, and I was, oh, good, I don't have to do a whole lot of editing. And then Dennis came on, and then I had to do a lot more editing. What did I say? I mean, there were at least six or seven things you said that I had to edit out. Really? In the last one? What was yeah. the last one? The last one was the no. Did you do the specialist with us? No, you did. Um, oh, the crow. the crow. Yeah. What did I? What? 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 Oh, you you dropped a few things. I don't know. That's okay. I, I, I picked them up for you. Uh, I got. Well, I can send you the raw audio if you want it. Hmm. I don't lie about that. Hey, I, when I have to do editing, I don't lie about it. Well, are you okay, Butch? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm pretty far from okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Quick recap, recap right, what of now? the show. You lost your two things. You don't tell anybody about this, and you lost your podcasting privileges. You leave town tonight. You be gone, and you stay gone. Well, yeah, I guess I'm just. I love you, honey bunny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, that's fine. That's fine because I don't know if you guys have heard, but there is the philosophy that once someone has asked for forgiveness, then they are instantly forgiven for all wrongdoing. I don't know if you've heard that or not. Yeah, yeah but yeah. the guy who thought of that wasn't cleaning up brains from the back seat of the car so. uh, on account of Dennis. Yeah, that's true. It's that true. true. Okay. Well, we have we have a lot of stuff to talk about tonight with this one. Just very very quickly, we do spoil freely, so be warned. What I was about to say was, while we are a family-friendly podcast, this is the movie Pulp Fiction. So I'm sure some of our discussion will veer towards the more adult themes in the movie. So just be aware of that. So if you're used to uh, listening to the podcast in the car with the kids, maybe not this one. So, yeah, just just be aware. We're, we're going to keep it clean here, and, and it'll be edited for content, but... Just be aware, it's it's Pulp Fiction, so it's, it is what it is. Make sure you also visit our website, 30podcast.com, where you can leave a rating, a voicemail, become one, become one of our co-executive producers on there via Patreon, where there's a bunch of bonus content, bonus episodes over there, all kinds of fun stuff. Even just from this year, just the last month or so, we've had Seven Samurai. We did the episode Seven Samurai mm-hmm. on our Patreon a little while back. I finally finished watching Stephen King's The Stand from 94 and did a quick episode mm-hmm. on that one. It was a chore, but that's okay. And then this month, we're going to be doing Revenge of the Nerds from 1984, and our Patreon short will be the Razzie worst film of the year, Color of Night, starring Bruce Willis, who is in this one. So, yeah, a lot of of similar themes going on here in February. So, all right. We're going to jump on into it here with our trivia pursuits. This is where we give you some background on the movie, and then we'll... Uh, jump into the rest of our discussion here. Came out on October 14th, 1994, with a rating of R, runtime of two hours, 34 minutes. Directed by Quentin Tarantino, who did Reservoir Dogs and Django Unchained. Writers were Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. Quentin T- uh, Tarantino did Jackie Brown and Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2. Avery did Killing Zoe and the Rules of Attraction. Producer was Lawrence Bender, who did Goodwill Hunting and Inconvenient Truth. Composer was a music supervisor, was Karen Rackman, who also did Reality Bites and Clueless. Cinematographer was Andres Saluka, who did American Psycho and Reservoir Dogs. Editor was Sally Menke, who did Kill Bill Volume 1 and Inglorious Bastards. Production company, A Band Apart and Jersey Films. Budget was $8 million. Box office, $214 million. So it done good. Holy smokers. It did just fine. Just fine. Flickmetrics gives it a 91%. That's a pretty high score for a Flickmetrics. And then Cinema Score yeah. gives it a B plus. Whoa. Wait a minute. That one that one to me seemed kind of interesting because typically if you get a 91% on the Flickmetrics, people that went to go see the movie gave it a B plus, which I think is kind of interesting. I'm wondering if I'm wondering if some of it was maybe too intense. For people that went to sure. go see it at the time. Yeah. Was Quentin Tarantino maybe still building his following, building his audience? And like now, if you see a Quentin Tarantino movie, you know what you're going to get and you're going to see that. Well, and I but wonder if the, point, right. I wonder if after Reservoir Dogs, because that would have been the other Tarantino movie that people could have gone to see. I wonder if after that, they went to go see this one and the narrative structure of it all, the just yeah. the, the differences between 
Res- Reservoir Dogs and this one, maybe people were like, what the heck did I just watch? I do think yeah. the narrative structure bothers people. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Yeah, because that's, you know, we're going to be doing data dives at work at the meetings this week, so I don't necessarily want to do that now. But I find that data stream rather interesting uh-huh. that it was 90 whatever on slick metrics, but a B plus in cinema score. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty rare that's little variation cute. there. So Yeah, that's curious. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. curious. The actors mm-hmm. in this one, John Travolta played Vincent Vega, who was in Saturday Night Fever and Greece. Samuel L. Jackson played Jules Winfield, uh, our man in Inglewood. He was in A Time to Kill and Unbreakable. Uma Thurman played Mia Wa- Mrs. Mia Wallace. Uh, she was in Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 and Batman and Robin. I'm sorry, I should have picked a different movie to reference that she was in rather than Batman and Robin. I apologize, Uma. Yeah. Um, if you're out mowing your lawn listening to us right now, I'm very, very sorry. Uh, Harvey Keitel played The Wolf, Winston Wolf. He was in Reservoir Dogs and the Grand Budapest Hotel. Tim Roth was Pumpkin. He was in Reservoir Dogs and The Hateful Eight. Amanda Plummer was Honey Bunny. She was in The Fisher King and The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Bruce Willis was Butch Coolidge, whose name means absolutely nothing because he's an American. Uh, He was in Die Hard and The Sixth Sense. Bing Rames played Marcellus Wallace. He was in Mission Impossible and Dawn of the Dead, 2004 version. Eric Stoltz was Lance. He was in Mask and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Rosanna Arquette was Jody. She was in Desperately Seeking Susan and After Hours. Christopher Walken was Captain Coons. He was in The Deer Hunter and Catch Me If You Can. Julia Sweeney was a character in this movie, not necessarily having character, but she was a character named Raquel. She was in Coneheads and Stuart Little. Phil Lamar was Marvin. He was in Mad TV and Futurama. Maria de Medeiros was Fabienne. She was in Henry and June and The Saddest Music in the World. And Quentin Tarantino played Jimmy. He was in Reservoir Dogs and Django Unchained. Got a couple of items of trivia here for us. I'm sure we all know, probably after talking Reservoir Dogs uh, a little while ago, that Mr. Vincent Vega is related to another Quentin Tarantino character. Do we remember which one? Yep. Yeah. Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dogs is Vincent Vega's brother. And at one point, Tarantino actually had an idea to plan a prequel called Double V Vega and ultimately ended up scrapping it because he thought they're going to look too old to play younger versions of themselves. And he's not into digital, so there's no way he's pulling the Disney de-aging of anybody. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Pulp Fiction was made for about $8 million, $5 million of which went to actors' salaries. Actually, it was much lower than that until they hired Bruce Willis. That was what caused the budget to kind of balloon to what it was. But, yeah, ended up making over $200 million after that. So, Guy pushes one guy out of a window, all of a sudden he makes a lot of money. Right. Right. Well, Marcellus Wallace, too. He pushed Antoine out the window. That he did. And he made a lot of money. Just for touching her feet. I don't even know. My you only guys, point you guys is give any foot massages? the reason that Marcellus Wallace pushed Tony Rocky Horror out of the window was between Marcellus Wallace and Tony Rocky Horror. It had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I just, I, okay, I'm going to be quiet because otherwise the dialogue, that whole conversation was just amazing. Yeah. 
I'm interrupting, John. I'm going to, no, I'm, no, I'm no. muting myself. Oh, no, you're fine. Yeah. The F-bomb is dropped 265 times in this movie. Is that all? Just in, uh, just in case you want to pull data. Uh, Pat, I know you're a data you guy. Yeah, edit so. that. Yeah. Yeah, edit that out. Yeah. Um, let's see. The 1964 Chevelle Malibu uh, convertible driven by Vincent Vega belonged to Quentin Tarantino but was stolen during production of the movie. And in 2013, police saw a couple of kids stripping an older car. They got arrested. And then when he was looking up the owner of the vehicle, he found that the VIN had been altered. Turns out it was Tarantino's stolen car from all the way back in the 90s. And the, the owner of the car had recently purchased it, had no idea it was stolen, and uh, Tarantino was able to get it back. Let's see, a couple other things I got here. The American Film Institute in 2007 ranked this as number 94 on their list of greatest movies of all time. So we can talk later about whether right. or not you agree with that. Tarantino actually spent quite a bit of time, I think at least a month or, or a few months, in Amsterdam writing this. And so that's why you get a lot of some of the, I, I think, the cigarettes that Vincent Vega's rolling are a type of Dutch cigarette. You got all the references to Amsterdam, all the stuff about Mia Wallace saying she likes to get away to Amsterdam for a month just to chill out for a while from time to time. But a lot of that was due to the fact that Tarantino had been in Amsterdam while he was writing the script for this one. So that's why it's kind of woven into uh, the rest of the movie. Originally, the initial casting idea for this was that Tim Roth and Gary Oldman were going to play Vincent and Jules as two kind of English guys, um, but obviously made a few changes here and there to the characters. Uh, Steve Buscemi was, uh, originally he was going to, he was offered the role of Jimmy, uh, the one that Tarantino plays, but couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts. But he does appear as the Buddy Holly waiter in Jackrabbit Slims, which ironically is the irony there is that Mr. Pink and Reservoir Dogs refused to tip wait staff. So the fact that he was playing a waiter in this movie is a little bit of a nod to that character. And then the last thing I've got here, and then if you guys have anything else, you feel free to throw those out. Quentin Tarantino does enjoy a good comic book reference every now and then, and Mrs. Mia Wallace does share that in her um, pilot that did not get picked up, she played a member of Fox Force 5, which sounds a lot like a comic book uh, superhero team, uh, but her character's name was Raven McCoy, and you can kind of pull that from the X-Men series, the name Raven. Uh, could come from Raven Darkholm, the real name of the character of Mystique, which we saw played by Jennifer Lawrence and Rebecca Romain. Uh, the surname McCoy is the last name of Hank McCoy, the real name of Beast. All these characters are also blue as well. Mia also describes her character as being raised by circus performers, which is similar to the character Kurt Wagner, who was Nightcrawler in the X-Men. So all three blue characters all three X-Men characters, so kind of a fun little connection there to his love of comic books. That's all I've got in terms of the trivia. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to share before we get on to other things? Oh. No, I, I don't have so I don't have so much trivia, but wasn't this kind of John Travolta's like return okay. to okay. yeah, comeback from relative obscurity? Mm-hmm. They call yeah. it his second comeback, the first being Lord okay. talking, yeah. 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 Look who's, oh, he did look who's talking. Okay. Yeah, but even that was, what was the year of that? Yeah, that was what? It was early, mid-80s. So it's still, it was still yeah. a decent gap of time where he was out of stuff, yeah. It was his first big yeah. movie coming back. That's what I remember as well. Like, he kind of revived his career and made him another. Look who's talking was 89. 89, okay. Yeah. 
So yeah, five years. Yeah, five years. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a pat. Yeah, this is it's interesting because I didn't do. I've never like other movies I've looked into. Like the last one, obviously, The Crow. I love that story so much that I looked into stuff and I looked into more trivia or more behind the scenes or things about it and different different things. for this one I've I've never really done that with this with this film I've pretty much just seen it I think I want to say four times in its entirety three or four mm-hmm. and a bunch okay. of times bits and pieces but I've never like dug into the behind everything which I'm sure you kind of could and find a lot of stuff I would imagine yeah. but you know All right. In a world where violence and redemption collide, Vincent Vega, Jules Winfield, Mia Wallace, and Butch Coolidge navigate the underbelly of L.A. Their lives intertwine in a tale of crime, passion, and a mysterious briefcase, leading them down a path from which there is no return. Pulp Fiction, where every choice has a consequence, and every moment could be your last. Miramax Films is proud to present one of the most celebrated motion pictures of the year. The winner of the 1994 Palme d'Or. The best picture of the Cannes Film Festival. Come on, let's get in character. I'm so interested in big man's wife. Well, he's going out of town of Florida, and he asked me if I take care of him while he's gone. Take care of him? No, man. Just show her a good time. Make sure she don't get lonely. Girl. You see, this is a you moral test of oneself. I do believe Marcellus, my husband, your boss, told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. I love you so much, can't count on Whether or not you can maintain loyalty. Night of the fight, you may feel a slight sting. Pride only hurts. It never helps. In the fifth, your ass goes down. I have to say, play with matches, you get burned. We should have shotguns for this kind of deal. We're in a lot of danger, aren't we? I'm prepared to scout the earth for that Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Get down, get down. You got a corpse in a car, minus a head in the garage. Take me to it. Don't you hate that? Hate what? Uncomfortable silences. John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Maria de Medeiros, Bing Rames, Eric Stoltz, Rosanna Arquette, Christopher Walker, and Bruce Willis. Looking at something, friend? Ain't my friend, looking. Die, you mother! A new film. Directed by Quentin Tarantino. Pulp Fiction. You really thinking about quitting? Most definitely. Of course you're going to do that. Basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What do you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. All right, major moments for this one. This one, I, I didn't break it down into 10 major moments because there really are seven different storylines that are going on here. So I'm just going to break it down into those seven because I think that's probably a pretty natural way to do that. 
So we start off with the prologue in the diner. So it opens up in a diner with a couple, uh, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, planning and then initiating a holdup. Kind of escalates quickly as they are deciding to rob the patrons of the diner as they're having their discussion and kind of talking through like what they've done in the past and the dangers of robbing, you know, the dangers of robbing certain places like liquor stores versus banks. And they kind of go through this whole little discussion and just a, a very sweet little conversation. And then, you know, obviously, obviously some of this we're going to edit out a bit, but I feel like you have this very sweet little conversation and then it very quickly devolves into this. I love you, pumpkin. I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! In the up you move! And I'll execute every mother last one of you! Yeah, so it starts off as a very sweet conversation between, you know, man and a woman and, and turns into that. At number two, the prelude to what I'm calling the moment we're calling Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. There's a quick little interlude here. Jules and Vincent Vega are kind of discussing their next job and kind of the upcoming assignment to entertain Marcellus Wallace's wife, Mia. And this will kind of set up one of the main story arcs of this whole thing. We also get in this scene, this is kind of the introduction to these two characters, to Jules and Vincent. And this is where we have kind of the, the hallway conversation about what happened to Tony Rocky Horror and the, the, the one really famous shot. Now, I don't think Tarantino was the originator of this, but I do believe the trunk shot is one that he made pretty popular. I believe the trunk shot existed before him, but that point of view shot, he's, he's really good at doing point of view shots. And I think the one where he's shooting from the trunk as if you were a body in the trunk, let's say, is one that he popularized, even if he wasn't the first person to do it. Yeah, when, when we get that great scene in the hallway when they're having their conversation and they're kind of waiting back a little bit because it's not quite time to go into the apartment and, and check in on the gentlemen that are in there, Brett and his associates, Flock of Seagulls, and the other guy that's in the bathroom. And I, I really enjoy that scene, too, because just technically it is, from what I recall, it's a single shot, and you're just kind of following them down the hallway as they're having their conversation. And I don't think that there's any cuts you know, to other angles or anything like that, so I think the whole thing is just a single shot there in the hallway. So, no, just kind of a... And I like how it stops following them when they walk down the hallway to finish their conversation. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Let's wait a little bit. And that's when the camera stops following them and it just lets them walk away. Yeah. And at the, and like you're saying, the point of view shot when they're, when they're riding in the elevator and the camera's behind them. Yeah. I just, it, it, it really, boy, that just works in such harmony with the, with the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Marcellus Wallace wants me to take care of his wife. Take care of her, care and he just pulls his hand up to his head. <laughs> I mean, it is, yeah. it is, and it's all the pieces are working together to just in, like I said, just in such harmony. It really works well. Yeah, and then we get the the iconic scene where they go into the apartment and they're there to pick up the briefcase. And maybe as we get into our deeper thoughts. We can talk about what we think is in the briefcase if you want to go with any of the fan theories on that one. But they're there to get the briefcase. They, they grill Brett a bit. We get a chance to partake of a tasty burger from Bikahuna Burger. And then, yeah, nobody, nobody really survives that scene. But we'll, we'll find out more about that a little bit later. We jump then to the prelude to the gold watch. 
And it kind of starts with a flashback and then jumps to the present. And then this narrative is kind of split in those two, two parts. The first is flashback to Butch Coolidge's childhood, where he gets a gold watch, you know, a family heirloom from Captain Coons, who won't necessarily say where he got it from, but it was an uncomfortable hunk of metal, and it was there for several years. And now, little man, I give it to you. I'd probably wash it first before grabbing it, but that's okay. It's all right. And then it transitions to the present, setting up Butch's storyline. And in Butch's storyline, The Gold Watch, Butch betrays Marcellus by winning a fight he was bribed to lose after realizing he left his precious gold watch behind in the apartment, or after Fabienne left in the apartment, even though he asked her to grab it. He goes back to his apartment to retrieve it, only to encounter Vincent Vega and ends up killing him. Butch's attempt to flee with his girlfriend is interrupted a bit when he crosses path with Marcellus, which to me is always one of the funniest scenes in the entire movie. Big guy carrying a box of donuts, turns, looks, and just goes, mother, and then gets hit by the car. And then that obviously leads to a bit of a confrontation in a pawn shop. We'll just, well, for now, we'll just call it a confrontation in the pawn shop. But we've got some moral questions yeah. to discuss a little bit later related to that one. And then after Butch ends up saving Marcellus from the sadistic assault of Zed and his brother Maynard, he ends up earning his freedom but agrees to leave town and leave Los Angeles forever and never come back because when you're gone, you stay gone or you be gone. Number six, we're calling the Bonnie situation. Following the apartment shootout where Jules and Vincent are miraculously not shot, by the guy that was in the bathroom. They accidentally, I say they, Vincent accidentally shoots Marvin in the face in the car. I found that scene to be a real head scratcher. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, I felt, I felt I like no Marvin words. could have been, Marvin could there have been the face of the movie. There are not words to fit your crime. There That's are not. I, probably not. Oh yeah. boy. Oh boy. I mean, something like that could turn you into a real head case, you know? Oh, and see, it just keeps going. Yeah, the hits keep coming. Yeah, that's. I honestly, when I the first time I saw this when I was in high school, I again that scene just blew my mind. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Well, it's just a sign that you shouldn't take anything at face value in this movie. So, in the Bonnie situation, they and scene accidentally shoot Marvin in the face in the car. This leads to itty-bitty pieces of brain being all over the place and a comedic yet tense little segment where they have to clean up the mess with the help of the wolf. And although he is 30 minutes away, he will be there in 9 minutes and 57 seconds. we got to do all this before Jimmy's wife, Bonnie, comes home because uh, Bonnie will not react well to the dead person in her garage. It, it's not storage for that dead person either. So I shouldn't have brought there No the first sign place. outside advertising said storage. I, I didn't see that sign. No, nope. it's not there, but the coffee top notch. Yes. Yeah. It's that gourmet stuff. Yeah. And we find out that Jimmy's an Oak man. So mm-hmm. Jules's reflection on the day's events kind of leads him to consider possible retirement from his life of crime. And then the narrative circles all the way back to the diner, starting kind of with the holdup, but we're now seeing it from Jules and Vincent's Vincent's in at, Sure. Vincent's. Vin- Vincenzo's perspective. Ooh. Yes, it's the How Italian. How continental of you. Yes, it's the Italian Pulp Fiction. It's, it's, a, it's a giallo film. Jules confronts Pumpkin and Honey Bunny using his earlier epiphany to diffuse the situation with a mix of a little philosophy and intimidation, allowing the robbers to leave with some cash but keeping Marcellus's briefcase safe. 
and the film ends up closing on Jules and Vincent walking out of the diner. Not quite sure what's going to happen to them, but obviously their lives will be changed uh, forever from this point on. And given that the narrative structure is completely out of order in this movie, we do know from having seen earlier in the movie that Vincent doesn't quite make it. So Vince is dead, baby. Vince is dead. Oh, all right. Any other thoughts? Any other, well, deep thoughts, but any other scenes that you wanted to mention before we maybe talk more about our opinions? Any scenes in general? Sure. What are some of your favorite scenes from this one? Uh, I got to go to the, uh, the, 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 the scene with the sword and the, um, uh, yeah, that the famous scene, Pat. Well, your question, your question. All right. Well, we'll get we'll get into the moral quandary when we get into deep thoughts. I think that's just a a, a, a great sh- a great scene. Yeah, great sequence, especially because it's preceded by like the chase and the vibe of the whole, and then all of a sudden there's it just takes this detour. Yeah, and there's this place that exists in this world that makes you feel extremely unsafe uncomfortable mm-hmm. and it's just a, like a little detour into weird town and and it's like a little little pause button and, and it just there's almost like a there's this big it's building you think to this big climactic end or or at least face off or someone's going to win between these two characters and then there's a detour that solves it all for them <laughs> that yeah. is unexpected so i just think it's a great again you're building up to the whole thing is he's bailing out on what's his name like double crossing him kind of with the with the whole fight and he's hunting him down and then you finally see they're chasing each other there's a there's a big car crash there's just shots fire everything everything's happening here and then all of a sudden it just gets kind of like taken care of in a different way yeah. that is very unexpected so yeah i just think that's a, the pacing of it's very interesting I did one of the more iconic scenes in this whole movie. I I did realize in my list of major moments, I completely glossed over. Uh, I went from the prelude to Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife to prelude to the gold watch, completely missing moment number three, which is Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. And that is when Vincent takes Mia Wallace out for a night on the town, including a memorable dance contest at Jackrabbit Slims, which they end up winning. But then their night takes a bit of a turn when Mia overdoses on heroin, mistaking it for cocaine. Vince ends up saving her life with a shot of adrenaline directly to her heart, which is probably one of the more iconic scenes in the entire movie. And again, having watched this as a freshman or sophomore in high school, I don't know that I'd seen a movie quite like this before watching it. So, Mm. yeah, I I I would say. safe to say. And I'm not a big fan of needles, so that was a pretty memorable scene for me. So that, I think, my... Probably the most memorable scene for me might be the one where they have to do the adrenaline shot in the heart, like that entire scene, because up to that point, I had never seen never seen anything like that in a movie. I would say my favorite scene, and there are so many favorites in this movie, my favorite is probably when they go into the apartment to confront the guys, because there's just there's so many fun lines in that one. There's so much, I mean, just Samuel Jackson devouring the scenery in that whole scene. And one of my favorite moments, which I reused, Bo, you might remember this. I don't remember if you were ever at any of the games. Uh, When I dressed up as death uh, during the lacrosse games. I've only heard tale. I was never there. So I would dress up. Our lacrosse team was not an official. It was a club sport, so it was not official school sport. So we were trying to drum up as much support as possible. I did not play lacrosse because one of the requirements was to be able to run 
I think it was like a, a three miles in under a certain amount of time, and I politely declined, even though I'm, I'm sure I would have been amazing on the team. Uh, I did politely decline the three-mile run because I did want to survive. Uh, so instead, I chose to be the mascot, and I dressed up uh, in a Grim Reaper costume, covered my face with a mask. I had a, a slightly bent lacrosse stick that one of the guys had given me as my staff that I would hold. And during halftime of the lacrosse games, well, during the game itself, I would stand up and I would just point at random players on the field, not saying anything, just stand and point at them to intimidate them. And then at halftime, I would go and I would kind of stand behind the opposing team while their coach was trying to give them a pep talk. And I would stand back there and I would do the entire Ezekiel 2517 quote. Oh, geez. And that was my whole shtick as, as the lacrosse angel of death. <laughs> so, which is funny because, and I, Bo, I think you told me this story one time. Or no, I was there for it. We, I was at a party at your house one time. You invited a bunch of people over. And, and I, I f- completely forget who it was, though. But somebody came in, and they didn't recognize me until I think you introduced me as death. And then the person was, death, dude, how you uh-huh. doing, man? And he didn't know me without the mask on. but Which is hysterical when you which think about it. Yeah. Which I feel like is just better for everyone. Agreed. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, the apartment scene where they're confronting Brett and his buddies, that is probably one of my favorite scenes just because of all the different quotes, just because of Sam Jackson's whole routine there. But memorable, I think, is probably the adrenaline shot to the heart scene. Really? I mean... If you go into memory, I guess it's, is it, if it's memorable, yeah. I, when you first posed the question, I was just thinking of scenes that were just sometimes I just thought oh, that was a, that's just a nice scene too. But I, I, I go memorable would still go with the pawn shop, but I, I still like little subtle scenes because, again, Quentin Tarantino's films, and I think this is why some people either hate it or like it, but like this is dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Like even going back to Reservoir Dogs, like the whole, but like everything's just dialogue and it's somehow he captures in some weird way, things that you could see people talking about, but not necessarily, it's a weird, weird kind of balance that he has with it. Like it, it makes it original, but you could see people talking about that around like a place. But I like the speech with Captain Coons with Christopher Walken, where he's just the whole monologue with the watch. Like that's one that for some reason it's, I don't know if that's a combination of Christopher Walken. I'm sure it is. And the dialogue that he's been given there, but just that that's just an interesting little moment. And how that watch is a cause yeah, and, has to go back for the watch. <laughs> and and I just want to say, and, and this might be getting into the deep thoughts, but I mean, Dennis, I totally agree with you. And I love that Captain Coons speech. And it's really, it, 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 because it starts off in one direction and it's almost, it's almost mystical. It's like he knew he wasn't going to survive. He knew he was staring death, but he found this, what was the name? He found this pilot. By the name of, Winocchi. and just the way he says everything, it's like mystic. It's, it's man, right. you, what was that? Was Winocchi. it Wenaki? Wenaki, yeah. Wenaki, a man of Wenaki. And it, it's it's just, I mean, in, in the way Christopher Walken can tell a story, it's, this is amazing. But then it turns the corner, and then it gets all goofy. And then all of a sudden, and then and you notice Christopher Walken, suddenly the way he's telling it, he gets more into the Christopher Walken kind of, the voice gets the peaks in it. And, and then suddenly... This story is what the heck is he talking about? What so he know, hid and it, it, and it goes, in the only place he could hide something. 
his ass. <laughs> See, yeah, I don't. And then here is incredible. He wore this watch up his ass. Because it, cause it, it does. I, I pulled up the quote here. It starts off at this watch I got here was first purchased by your great grandfather yeah. in the First World War. It was bought in a little general store in Knoxville, Tennessee, made by the first company to ever make wristwatches. Up until then, people just carried pocket watches. It was bought by private doughboy Ernie Coolidge on the day he set sail for Paris. It was your great-grandfather's war watch, and he wore it every day he was in that war. When he had done his duty, he went home to your great-grandmother, took the watch off, put it in an old coffee can, and in that can it stayed until your granddad, Dane Coolidge, was called upon by his country to go overseas and fight the Germans once again. This time, they called it World War II. And he going through that whole thing, and then you're right. Like it, it takes a turn all of a sudden. It's like you're it's waiting like, for like this, this really watch. like here's the watch, and it's going to be like this passed on. Yeah, it seems so serious. He's telling you every little detail about the watch that it's so important, and, and then all of a sudden it ends up in someone's ass. Yeah, and it's just, <laughs> yeah. he died of just, dysentery. He gave me the watch. Yeah. <laughs> I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal. Then after seven years, I sent home to my family, and now little man, little man, I give, I give the you. watch to you, and he just grabs it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's and it's funny because there's so much just artistry going on. I mean, the dialogue is incredible, right? The way the story goes, the delivery is incredible. And John, you captured that the way he was saying it, 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 it and then it was picked up by your great grandpa, Dane yeah. Coolidge. And, and the way he says those names, it's it's like there's so much impact to them. And so you've got that going on. And then you have a little bit of like the, the physical pacing of it. And you see this, excuse me, you see this in, what was that movie? Four Rooms, where each director wrote a different yeah. part of the movie. And Quentin Tarantino's room is very similar to this scene because in, in Quentin Tarantino's room, it's about this bet where they bring the bellhop in, right? And isn't the bellhop the one character that bounces around? And it's all about, can you grab the money before the knife comes out or whatever? And it's this whole scene that builds up to this one physical thing that it's like the button on it. And that's what happens here. You get this mystical story. It turns on its head. Now he's being goofy. And now it's this thing that's now this watch is up the what and what's going on. And then what does it end with just a quick swipe of the watch, like a very physical, like exclamation point on the scene. I mean, it is so well put together and so well acted, right? So you've got great, dialogue you have delivery. great physical delivery uh, or yeah delivery you have that great physical piece but then you're also using your actors and actresses in the best way possible what is christopher walken the best at or, or i don't want to say the best at that's for him to determine but in my opinion what do i really like watching christopher walken do it's speak like this yeah. with with the way he can and so we have great dialogue great delivery and and you've got actors being put, been able to put their best foot forward. It's just, well, it's just you, artistry. You I mean, it's so setting, good. If you think about that, that whole passage, two thirds of that, any other actor could do and mm-hmm. do well. But because it ends in that last third, the way it does, only yeah. just walk in could pull that off. And I always laugh, and yeah. I don't know if you guys laugh, but the part that makes me just what I keep hearing that is like, he talks about how there's a connection or more and they're like responsibilities to each other. But it's, it's the fact that he's, he had it, he ended up his ass for five, five long years. Right. And then all of a sudden he says, he, like John said, he died dysentery, but then he's, he gave me the watch and I had this uncomfortable ass for two years. 
So I just always am yeah. laughing that like I'm thinking if I'm in that situation and it's your buddy's watch, you understand that the buddy was hiding it in his ass for five years. But then if I get passed on that watch, I don't think I'm putting it in my ass. It's like he just naturally just put it in his ass to hide it as well, too. It was just like And the, just, the blocking just, of the scene. I, I don't know why so. it, because it's so serious and there's like this passing of this very this this important heirloom that's gonna be passed on to, to generation after generation. And then it just ends with like like you said, the way it ends, the way it ends. That last bit can only be pulled up by Christopher Walking. I don't yeah. know anybody else because it's weird. And it's odd, but it's still, is he joking? Is he serious? You know he's serious, but it feels like a joke, but it's not a joke. Am I allowed to laugh? Am I not allowed to laugh? You know, it's it's just, it's, yeah. And for me, what cracks me up is the blocking of the scene. His mom is sitting in the back corner while this whole story is going on, which which just kicks it up a whole other level of humor. And and the way she's sitting there with her hands kind of clasped, like just this proud mother. Yeah, yep. And it's just oh my god! And yeah, it, I I don't know why, but I mean it it is it is so well done. And like I said, it all builds up with the the whole story ends and just grabs the watch. Just it, it, yeah. And it's those little scenes, like I said, that's why, again, like the question is memorable, like the big, everybody remembers these scenes. But I think ultimately, if you're kind of a Quentin Tarantino fan or appreciate it, it's like those little scenes that make the bigger scenes. Like anyone else could edit half this stuff out. You know, like obviously the scene, the watch is important for him to remember, but there could have been a thousand other things he forgot that he had to go back for to a certain degree. But obviously this important heirloom is, is a key thing. But like, other people would not have spent, and that's what some people don't like about his movies is because it makes them longer as he has these dialogue laden scenes that anybody else is going, what, what is he talking about? Why is this even in here? But you appreciate that or you don't like it happened in, in Django. It, it, hap- it happens in Inglorious Bastard. Like every movie he has. How many people remember the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs where they're talking about Madonna? And the, is that really well, You remember because you, you wouldn't watched it with your daughter. <laughs> that was a scene that you were just, hey guys, I'm going to watch this with Autumn. Uh, what do you, is there anything in there? I, there's nothing really bad. I'm mean, well, like, it's kind of violent. Everything you came back, your eyes were like a sausage. I forgot about that entire first conversation. I can't believe I watched that with my daughter. Well, luckily, she was older, though. So, yeah. Yeah. Still, that's still interesting. Yeah. I was going to give Hunter a watch after watching this movie with him. <laughs> asking me where this thing's been where this has been in the last 10 years <laughs> it's your it's your obligation now to and i one of the things i love about that scene i actually have the movie playing while we're talking and it, it caught up to that scene where christopher walken first comes in i love the fact that the mother is standing in the background this entire time just listening to the whole story yeah 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 and she's she doesn't seem to be reacting to anything. she's just listening just listening to the whole thing as he's mm-hmm. telling it and, yeah Let's get on into some of our deeper thoughts on this one. We've got some moral quandaries to discuss here. 